And now, Lord, we've come to the time in this service when we open the infallible, eternal, inerrant, inspired Word of God. We believe, O Lord, that you breathed this Word. And we believe that this Word is unlike any other Word. And we've come today, O God, with open hearts and minds to receive what your Word has to say and what the Spirit has to say through your Word. We trust that we will be made better servants of the Lord, greater worshipers, greater moms and dads, greater young people, greater children. God, just move upon us with your divine, anointed power this morning and help us to receive from your hand what you have for us in this service through Jesus, master of the art of living, and our Savior. Amen. And everybody said amen. amen. Just returned from Orlando, Florida, where we had a great assembly. 20,000 plus people assembled in one place. When that roar of praise goes up, there's no other feeling quite like that. That to be in a room where that many people at one time are lifting up a praise to God, but it'll just send chills all over you. You know, sometimes we feel kind of isolated in our uh, own little cubicle, but when you get into a place where there is such magnitude and such enormous praise going up, boy, that's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of place to, to be. I love it, and I thank the Lord for it. Tony Evans preached on Tuesday night. He preached about the wise man who built his house upon a rock, and a foolish man who built his house upon sand. And it's all about stability. And Jesus started that parable by saying these words. He said, He that heareth my words and these sayings of mine. So both of them heard the word. Both of them heard the same thing. Both of them heard the same preaching. Both of them had opportunity to build. Both of them had a purpose. Both had a plan. The only difference in the two builders was the foundation material that they chose. That's the only difference in the two. Both of them heard the same word. And both of them were secure, established, safe until a storm came. And the storm proved a fault within one man's choices. Always works that way. I said it always works that way. The storm, the difficulty, the flood, and the disaster that happens always tries the fabric and tests the metal, as we say. It tries our faith. Anybody can serve the Lord during good times. Buddy, when the kids are all well and bills are all paid and everything's going great, it's kind of a simple thing to say, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, amen. But when times are bad and when health is not good and when finances are a problem and when there are a lot of difficulty in relationships and domestic problems and all kind of junk, we call it garbage, going on in your life, to still be able to go to God's house and lift up holy hands and say, I will yet praise him. Amen. Because usually when difficulty comes, it silences our praise. It uh, causes absenteeism at many of the events at the Lord's house. Trouble comes a-knocking. And I want to tell you, trouble comes in everybody's life. You may sit there today and say, I'm unique. I have troubles nobody else has. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows. Well, I want to tell you, it may come as a surprise to you, but everybody has problems. Everybody has difficulties. Everybody has hardships. Everybody has all of this rain that comes into all of our lives, the just and the unjust. It rains on all of us. It's just we don't make it such a big deal like some do. 
I tell you oftentimes, in good times, praise his name. In bad times, just do the same. You see, circumstances should never determine the level of our praise and the level of our worship and the level of our servitude to the Lord. We should never judge how much we're going to do for God by what we think he's not doing for us. Before this message is over, you're going to find out that many things that you thought that you wanted and needed what you had in mind was not what God had in mind. And somehow there was a disconnect there because you too didn't have the same thing in mind. What you thought was a blessing for you was not what God had in mind. And instead of getting the blessing from what he had for you, instead of what you had in mind, sometimes becomes problematical. And when it finally it works out and you realize God was trying to bless you all the time, then you say, oh, if I would have known that. You see, timing and season is everything when expecting God to work. Just like autumn is a time of its own season, winter is a time of its own season, summer is a time of its own season. If you don't believe 95 degree weather and that kind of stuff, just step outside. I'm sure you'll realize pretty quick it's summer because there are distinctives that identify the season. And the Bible said that a sluggard in the springtime, a drunkard in springtime, would starve to death in fall. Why? Because he violates a law. There's a law that says whatsoever you sow, that you will reap. And if you don't sow in season, you won't reap in season when due time comes. Somebody say amen. amen. It all is about our mindset and how we think. And listen, perk up real good. You will never get over the pain and the hurt of that incident that happened and you can't get past it and you can't get over it until you change the way you think. And no amount of dancing in the spirit is going to change that. No amount of aisle running is going to change that. Because it's lodged somewhere between this heart and mind and God has to do something through his word and do something through prayer and seeking him that shouting just won't get that done. Sometimes we think, well, if we could just have a good old shouting service, everything would be all right. If my people, it didn't say if my people will shout. It doesn't say if my people will just dance in the spirit. It says if my people will humble themselves and pray. Come on somebody. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive and I will heal. When will God forgive and heal? When we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. And no amount of bodily exercise is going to change that mind and that heart until God does something through the Spirit in us, every one of us. So it's not a matter of being what we call spiritual, though we have sometimes a misconception of what spiritual is. Spiritual is not being loud and boisterous, I am, but that don't make me spiritual. I'm not spiritual because I dance a little jig every now and then. That don't make me spiritual. Are you listening to me? The things that make me spiritual are the gifts of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, the meekness, the long-suffering, the patience. You see, those are the things that identify us as being spiritual. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
verse 9, I quote it all the time, as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart, neither have entered into the heart, somebody say heart, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love them. But the Spirit reveals those things. The Spirit reveals those things. And when you get down to the 15th chapter, it says, but he, 15th verse, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, he started off that discourse by talking about neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared. And then he ended the chapter by saying, but we have the mind of Christ. So something then has got to enter our heart before we can have the mind of Christ. Some things have to be, glory to God, received into our heart, our soul the center, the seat of our emotions, where we hurt, where we suffer, where we fear, where we love. How big of a heart do you have? I'm looking at some folks here, and I can point out a few that have a big heart. I've got some folks sitting here, I wonder if you got a heart. I don't ever see any indication out of you that you got one. Some of you sitting around somebody like that might ought to put the stethoscope over and see if you can get a beat. But I need to tell you about having a big heart. You're at risk. Because when you got a big heart, everything ramps up. Because when you got a big heart, you also can have a big hurt. You can also love big. When you got a big heart, you can worship big. When you got a big heart, you can serve big. But that big heart is about capacity. And you can have a whole lot of love, and you can have a whole lot of joy, a whole lot of peace. You can have a whole lot of worship, but you can also have a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of pain. That's why the best time of your life can also be the worst time of your life. Because while you're thinking in your heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, well, that's still connecting our mind with our heart, isn't it? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Because out of the heart flow all of the issues of life. No wonder the apostle said, for with the heart we have obeyed that form of doctrine that was preached unto us. Something entered into our heart that was preached unto us that transformed us, that made us into something different, made us into something better. And we obeyed what we heard with our physical ears and heard with our spiritual ears in our heart and we obeyed, obeyed from the heart what was preached, that doctrine that was preached unto us. Are you getting this picture? I'm going slow so I can make sure that you get it. Because it don't mean a thing if your heart's not right. It don't mean a thing if your heart is not right. It don't mean a thing if you're not in the right you can sing and testify, yet be lost when you die. Because it don't mean a thing if your heart's not right. You see, you've got to get your heart right. You've got to get your mind changed. You've got to be renewed in mind and heart. We have the mind of Christ. What does the mind of Christ do in us, Pastor? The mind of Christ helps us to lead a life of peace with people and peace with God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5 and 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 and 5 tells us, let that mind be in you, which was in Christ. And the context that's around, those verses around it, when we say context, it means where we're getting it from. What he's talking about is about caring about others. What was the mind of Christ? He came to seek and save that which was lost. What was the mind of Christ? He set his face like a flint to go to the cross. What was the mind of Christ? He said, I must needs die. I've got to go to Calvary's cross. My, my joy, my delight is to do the will of him that sent me. I'm determined to do nothing else of my own. I do what I do because the Father speaks to me and I tell you what the Father has to say. He and I are one and not one of us does anything without the other. Wow. Now with that kind of mind, he says, that's the mind that you should have. That's the mind that we should have in our spirit and in our heart. The same mind that was in the mind of the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 7. My mind and my flesh. You look at me. Now listen, I want to tell you something. This is the house Jerry Irwin lives in. I say that at every funeral because all we have is the house. And if you think that people love you so much, you ought to see what they do with you when you die. They are going to, if it's all about your body, if it's all about how good looking you are, if it was all about this house and not about the real person on the inside, then brother, you ought to see what they do with you when you die. You'll come to a quick truth that it's not really about this house. It's really about the real me that lives in this house. And the real me that lives in this house is the man that is after God's own heart. He's the one that wants to do the will of God. Now this house, this house is flesh. And they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are of the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. So where do you get your energy? From the Holy Spirit, because it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So then this spiritual connection with the will of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God for our lives is what causes us to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is all about others. Little heart test. Are you ready? Ready to do a heart test? Do you find yourself sometimes doing for others what you don't do for yourself? Well, that's a good heart test, isn't it? Do you find yourself sometimes enjoying goodness that happens to others that you sometimes wanted for yourself, but you rejoiced when it happened to somebody else and was glad for them? Just a little heart test. No fee, I promise. Just ask yourself. We're not going to take a poll here. You won't get a grade. Nobody's going to give you a report card. Just ask, how about your heart? Hmm? If we have the mind of Christ, if we have a heart for God, then we care about others. Do you have compassion? Do you ever find yourself feeling someone else's hurt or someone else's pain? To have a heart for God and have a mind for God, there must be compassion and kindness for others. You care about others. That's a, that's a heart of God. That's a, that's a heart and a mind of Christ. And it's all about doing the things that God would have you do. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, Paul is talking about a battle that he fights. And I want to tell you, if I could ever get my heart and my mind working together, then good things can happen. 
nod your head. Because sometimes I know what I need to do, but my heart says no. Sometimes I, I get in trouble because my mind and my heart fight. Sometimes my mind and my heart disagree that they actually go to war. Yeah. My reason and my mind, I have to remain strong in my mind so that my heart doesn't deceive me. Because the Bible said the heart is exceeding deceitful above all things. Have you ever had your heart to fool you? Have you ever had your heart to play tricks on you that you should have known better? You got good sense. In your mind, you know what needs to happen. You know what needs to be done, but somehow your heart just overpowered your reason and good mind and you found yourself listening to the wrong one and just follow your heart. He's so fine. She's so fine. Sometimes your heart will deceive you. Sometimes your heart doesn't have enough information to make a decision like that. You need to think with your head. Don't think with your heart. The Bible said, for if our hearts deceive us and condemn us, then is God greater than our hearts. I'd rather have the mind of Christ, hadn't you, than to have a heart for Jerry Irwin. Because my heart craves and desires fleshly things and worldly things. Sometimes my heart needs to be converted. Sometimes my heart is so wrong. And could I tell you that to have a big heart is a blessing. But you better have a big mind at the same time to govern that big heart because that big heart can sometimes contain more capacity than you're putting in your mind. Because if you're not putting enough in your mind, one day this week, up packages came, Gail, shut your ears, she'll tell Debbie I said this. There was three packages laying on the front porch when I got home, and they were all shoes. Now, Kelly, you can't even walk in Debbie's closet for shoes. She's had me assemble. I don't know how many walls, these things that go on the wall, hang on the wall, shoes. She doesn't need paint on her walls. She's got the walls all covered with shoes. That woman, if she walks by a sale anywhere, it's usually shoes. She can resist everything else I know but shoes. She's a shoe person. I said, how in the world would we start to go to Orlando, she's got the whole back of the truck packed full of shoes. <laughs> Debbie, we're only going to be there four days, honey. You can't wear but four, no, no, eight. Morning and night, you know. <laughs> and sometimes in the day, I said, I think I see 12 or 15 boxes. She said, well, a woman has to have a choice. <laughs> shoes. My Lord, Shoes. And to come home after all of that and find shoes on the porch. Sometimes your heart just reaches out and says, I want this and I want that. And your mind, and I'm not saying Debbie's lost her mind. Don't you go tell me that. <laughs> but your mind has to govern the desires that are in your heart. Because if you don't put in your mind strength and information, then your heart will want it so bad that cost and functionality just goes out the window. 
God wants you to use your head in serving him. And my delight is in the law of the Lord, which is after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. It's in my eyes and it's in my hands. Warring against the law of my mind. Are you looking at that? Warring against the law of my mind. Now, every one of us have a belief system. Every one of us have foundational things that we believe. Amen. We have principles, values, morals that we serve as a foundation for our living. And we make decisions based upon our belief system. Amen. I think I know some of you well enough. You could present me with a question and I could just about tell you how you'd answer it. Because I know your belief system. I know where you stand. Over 32 years, you've made it known to me, here's where I stand. Amen. I know where you stand about the Word of God. I know where you stand about the blood of Jesus. I know where you stand about liquor. I know where you stand about the virgin birth. I know where you stand about the second coming of Jesus. I know where you stand about, about judgment and blood, atonement, physical return, bodily resurrection. I, I know where you stand. So our belief system is, is here, and that's what we have as a law in our mind. Now sometimes, you know what, I found out, if you got laws, you need a law officer. You can't just assume that if you put a speed limit sign up somewhere that everybody's going to obey it. On the other hand, you can probably assume that if there are no law enforcement and it's just a sign on the side of the road, most people are going to ignore it. So when you've got laws, you've got to have some system to enforce it. Oh, you don't like that. Boy, don't let me kill the spirit. You don't want me to talk about getting caught and getting a ticket and going to court and having to pay a fine. I don't like that either. But when you've got laws, you've got to govern yourself. And that might be the greatest outlaw you'll ever face. No wonder Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. There's a law that is warring against the law that is in my mind. And listen to what it says. And it brings me, it takes me prisoner. It captivates me. It, it puts me under bondage. It brings me into bondage. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and brings me into captivity to the law of sin. Notice those laws. The law of God the law that is in my members and the law of my mind and the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this torment and this death? I want to tell you, when your members are winning the war, and the mind of Christ and the mind of the law of the spirit of life in Christ is pushed back, then I want to tell you that's a miserable, wretched condition to be in. Oh, you may think for a while that giving the flesh what it wants is good, but after a while you'll understand that wretchedness and that torment. And Paul says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. There's a war going on. These, the law that's in my hands and it's in my eyes and my ears. And he said, that law takes me prisoner and makes life miserable for me. Oh, wretched man, who shall get me out of this predicament? And then he said, I thank God that a man named Jesus came 
and the Word was made flesh. And he lived an obedient life and he died a sacrificial death and he rose in a great overcoming resurrection and he ascended up to the Father where he prayed and God sent back the Holy Spirit and the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost and Jesus did something for me that took the wretchedness away and took all the torment away. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord and there remaineth now no condemnation. Somebody say no condemnation. No condemnation. Oh, Lord Jesus. Say it again. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus because they walk not after the flesh. They've won that battle. But after the Spirit, for by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath he made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemned sin. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Great Lord. I even like my own preaching today. Hallelujah. That's fantastic, isn't it? That Jesus has done something for us that is so powerful. You see, when you have a heart attack, when Satan causes so much stress and anxiety in your life that it affects you in that heart where we've obeyed the doctrine that was preached to us. I want to tell you, stress and pressure will kill you. It will kill you physically. It will also kill you spiritually. When day after day you deal with the same stress, night after night you wrestle with the same problem. Weeks turn into months and months turn into years and you struggle and you go on. You know, there's all kind of different people. There's A1, we won't go into all that, A1 personalities and that kind of stuff. I'm one of those tenacious, stick to it, get the job done, whatever it takes, put your shoulder to the wheel, push, grind, work, keep going till you make it. And that kind of attitude will kill you. It'll kill you. I've already had three bypasses, two stents. When Debbie was putting her shoes in the car, She went in there to the, where I keep my medication. She picked bottle and bottle for this, one for blood pressure, and one for thinning the blood, one for this and that and other. She said, my Lord, you take all this? I started to say, you buy all them? <laughs> It'll make you sick. Pressure and stress will kill you. And you've been so good to pray for me. And you and God, I'd be dead a long time ago if it wasn't for you and God. And I thank you. Praise God. Truth is, in that same heart that God has healed, and that heart that is so tenacious, there have also been some of the most crushing defeats. There have also been some struggles and some difficulties. But with every struggle, he has made a way for our escape. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Somebody say, God will do it. God 
will do it. I don't know why he waits to the last minute. I don't know why he waits till the last second. Why you walk through all banks that you can think of and you finally get to the last one. Somebody say the last one. When I get to heaven, I want to ask God, what is so special about 3 o'clock in the morning? What is so special about the very last moment, the very last? After this, forget it. But God uses the last one. He loves for you to get to the end of yourself. Because when you have extinguished every effort that you can make, then and only then will you say, God, it's all yours. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. I come here to preach this morning. You better help me. God wants us to understand when you reach the end of your rope, when you have are at your wit's end, when you've got no other answer, when there's no other resource, that's when you say, God, all or nothing. You know what? I've told you forever. When God becomes all you've got, God will become all you need. All you need. When he becomes all you've got, he'll be all you need. You know, that heart that is attached to our mind, that they fight and they war, our heart sometimes will just lead us down a path that takes us the wrong way. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. You know, most of the time when God teaches us the greatest lessons, it's when we're in transition. You know, sometimes you've got to let go. Sometimes there are things in your past that you just need to let that go. Sometimes there are people that have done and said things that have hurt you, and you've got to let that go. You got to stop rehearsing it over and over. You got to stop reliving it and telling it and giving life to it. Sometime, somewhere, somehow, you got to put it to rest and let it go. Sometimes God has to just tell you here's the way it is. Now get over it and let's go. When Moses, that great pastor of those millions of people, God help him, all of those people, they wanted to kill him time after time. Now, I know you've wanted to kill me a few times, but we won't go into that. <laughs> times when they wanted to kill him, but he was their meekest man of the earth. He was the man that went to God for them. And while he was up there praying, receiving from God something for the people, they made him a golden calf. Come on. And when Moses walked down, it broke his heart. And he just threw the tablets down, what he just received from God, and broke them. And don't look down your nose at him because you've thrown some things down and broke them too. When things did not go the way you had it in mind, Did you know that most misunderstandings and falling outs happen because it just didn't happen like somebody had in mind that it was supposed to be? See, having it in your mind will cause you sometimes to get at odds with somebody who's got something different in their mind. But if we all could let this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus, 
then we'd have more unity of mind and heart. On the day of Pentecost, they were all in one, one mind and in one accord. Brother, the Spirit falls when we get in one mind and one accord. And you laugh at me sometimes for saying the greatest miracle that happened at Pentecost was not that the Holy Ghost came. It was that 120 people were in one mind and one accord. That's funny. You can laugh. Wow. When Samuel, when Moses realized what had happened, he just got so irate, went back and got the law of God. God fixes our screw-ups. God fixes our mess-ups. Come on. So when we do something we shouldn't have done, God will always help us fix it. I said God will always help us fix it. God will always invite you to come back and try that again. You missed it that time. So God wrote those tablets again with his finger just like he did the first time. He's a God who restores. He's a God who heals. When Moses went off to seek the Lord, he stayed gone so long. 30 days he was gone and the Lord took him and buried him, let him look over into the promised land, but didn't let him go over there. And Moses probably said, well, God, that wasn't really what I had in mind. But God buried him. And now we've got the church down here, and we've got the successor that God wants to take Moses' place. And God speaks to the pastor-elect, Joshua, and he says, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. He's not coming back. That's done. That's finished. That's over. Therefore, somebody say therefore. Therefore, arise and cross over this Jordan. What's God telling him? Get up off your face. We're not crying anymore. Time to quit crying about it. He's dead. I buried him. Now it's time for us to get on with it. Get over it. Get up. Get over it. And let's get going. Sounds like a funeral sermon, doesn't it? Wow. Well, here we've got Samuel. And Samuel is that great prophet of the Lord. And he's dealt with all the problem of dealing with a king that thought he was a priest and thought he was superior and arrogant because he stood head and shoulders over everybody else. He became a bully. And God said, that's over. That's over. I'm done with him. You mean God gets done with people? What happened, Pastor? He had a heart attack and he didn't survive it. A spiritual heart attack. He lost his identity. And God spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn? Is that what it says? How long? Have you ever asked God how long? Oh, God, if I'd have known it's going to be this bad for this long. Lord, when are you ever going to do something? Oh, God, how long? Is this going to last? How long am I going to go through this? How long? Come on, everybody's prayed that prayer. How long? How long will you mourn? I have rejected him as king. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Has ever God ever said to you, be on your way? Get up from there and be on your way. Get up off that seat of do nothing and get going. Get up off that seat of self-pity and let's get going. Get up off of that seat of scorning and let's get going. Get up off of that seat of being critical and let's get going. Boy, I got a lot of potentials right there, haven't I? Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse's house and he lives over at Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be a king. Next verse. 
But Samuel said, how will I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. Everybody, anybody ever had God say, I'll show you what to do. I'll show you what, lean not to your own understanding and I'll direct. I'll show you what to do. Samuel, you just get up and go. I'll show you how to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. I'm going to show you which one. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they said it, saw him. And they asked him, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. What did Samuel have in mind? Eliab looks like a king. He's stout. He's strong. He's muscular. He's got a good physique. Got a square chin and a good jaw. He looks like a king to me. And Samuel thought, hey, the Lord's anointed is standing here before me. Well, in the first place, you don't need to put God's anointing on anybody. You need to let God do the anointing. I said, you need to let God do the anointing. Help me, Lord. Surely the Lord's... You see, when you got that mindset, uh, this is what God's going to do. This is the way God's supposed to do this. And He's the eldest son. He's the firstborn. And the right of the inheritance is always to the firstborn son. And he looks the part. And I'm sure this is just a formality. We'll go through all the motions. And, and in the end, the final analysis, Eliab will be the, the king. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Next verse. But the Lord said, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him too. So what you had in mind wasn't what God had in mind. Come on, somebody. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks upon the heart. Oh, me? You mean God is not really impressed by how tall I am? He doesn't really care how much I weigh? God is not really impressed with my intelligence or my brain power? Come on, somebody. No, God only looks at one thing. He looks at your heart. God looks upon the heart. God is always, he will trust you according to your heart. Wow. How many of you know that great chapter about great women? What is it, Jerry? Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 says this. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price, her worth, far above rubies. And the heart of her husband safely trusts her. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's some folks you might not ought to trust. You better check their heart out before you trust them. Just because they shout a whole lot that don't mean that you ought to. Uh... And just because someone says swelling words and enticing words of man's wisdom, that doesn't mean you ought to trust them with all your heart. Be careful who you trust with your heart. Be careful who you commit your heart to. Because there are folks that may look impressive, but they'll break your heart. And they'll hurt your heart. God Trust you according to your heart. I got to quit. But I don't want to. Still like to talk to you about Debbie's shoes. I'm mad about that.
but I got to get over it and uh, get up and be on my way. When God looked at Joseph, the many colors that he had, flashy, proud, my daddy, I'm his favorite, and he gave me this coat because I am loved and appreciated above all of his sons. In fact, I had a dream the other night. Let me tell it to you. I dreamed that all of you guys was gathered around me and all of you guys was down on your knees and bowed down to me. Better be careful who you tell folks what God shows you in a dream. They might just do to you what these boys did to him. They wanted to kill him. But God looked past that pride and that arrogance and that haughtiness and saw a heart. It wasn't really where God wanted it to be yet. It was a good, good heart and a young man. But God said, we got to get in school because this man needs some heart lessons. God, Brother Charles, God said, first heart lesson for him is let's put him in a pit. Let's take his coat that he's so proud of and let's tear it to shreds like an animal has ripped it apart and let's dip it in some blood so we can tell daddy a cock and bull story, and we'll be done with this dreamer forever. So they did exactly that. And the oldest son, Reuben, when here came a, a, a train of traders that was come to trade their silks from the Orient, and they said, we got a slave over here we'll make a deal on. He's cheap today. We'll sell this young man cheap. He's stout. He ought to bring a good price when you get into Egypt. And the Bible said they sold him. See, sometimes you got to go down before you can go up. Sometimes you've got to be abased before you can be exalted. Sometimes you got to learn what it's like to suffer. And the Bible said that he was sold at the auction block as a slave. He was bought by a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar employed him to be a servant in his household. But Potiphar had an adulterous wife. And brother, she saw that nice, good-looking physique. He's so fine. saw how handsome he was. And her flesh said, I want that. And she wrapped her arms around him in passion and lust. And the Bible said, now listen, if you think this young man wasn't tempted, you need to think again. He had hormones just like all the rest of us have every piece of flesh in him was pulsating but thank God he had a mind I said thank God he had a mind and his mind overruled his heart and his mind said run get away from here and the Bible said he ran out of his coat and she told a lie and she told Potiphar he attacked me, tried to rape me. And Potiphar had him put in prison, stayed in prison 17 years. But the Bible said, but God blessed him. God never blessed me in school enough to make me feel good about it, did he? You? But the Bible said that God elevated him and promoted him to places of leadership and responsibility and trust. Trust. Because they realized he had a heart they could trust. You see, God, when he saw Joseph, he saw a heart that could go through being sold as a slave. 
that could go through temptation, that could go through imprisonment, that could go through all of this and still say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, if your mind can ever get to the place that you can see God's hand, all things, somebody say all things, all things work together for good to people that love the Lord. They may mean it for evil, but God means it for good. I recorded a song a few years ago. How about your heart? Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side so that all could see just how what what goes on inside? Is that it? I'm not recording it now, am I? <laughs> Would they see Christ's love in you? People often see you as you are outside. Jesus really knows you for he sees inside. How about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. You see... Mind and heart go together. You know what the devil tells me the first time when trouble comes a knocking? God don't care. Is there anybody in this house that can say, I've heard the devil tell me that before. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. In closing, one night... On a stormy sea. The wind was raging and the storm was boisterous and the sea was angry. And the Bible said their lives were in jeopardy. And Peter ran down to where Jesus was sleeping. I wonder sometimes how he sleeps through storms, but he slept through that one. And Peter ran down to where he was looked him straight in the eye and said, Don't you care? Carest thou not that we perish? Don't you care that all hell is breaking loose? Don't you care that the waves are 10 feet high? Don't you care that the wind is howling 50 miles an hour? Don't you care that lightning's flashing all around us? Don't you care? Carest thou not that we're about to perish? And Jesus arose and said, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. I'd like to ask you today, have you ever had God to speak to you? Peace, be still. Amy, Dale, Amy Nail told me in the grocery store this last week, Brother Jerry, I have peace. God has given me a peace, said the doctor started talking to me about a, another issue and said, I just told him, hey, we're not even going to talk about that right now. I've got peace about that. God will take care of that. That'll be all right. Whew. Have you ever had God to say, be at peace. Peace be still. Carest thou not that we perish. You reckon Peter ever found out that he cares? I believe he did. Because in 1 Peter Five and seven, the Bible said, casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. I want to look you in the eye and tell you today, I don't know what you're going through. Don't know what you're feeling. Don't know what you come from at home this morning. Don't know what kind of communication you've had this week that caused your heart to break or that caused your world to start spinning. But I'm here to tell you, He cares for you. He cares for you. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches until it nearly breaks. Is it all to Him does He see? Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. 
When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. He cares for you. I said he cares for you. He cares for you.